0: Hello, friends of Soul Kitchen. My name is Jasper Mutsarts. I'm an entrepreneur, adventurer, coach, and wisdom seeker. With this podcast, I thrive to inspire people to live their quest. Soul Kitchen is a place where we gather and share stories that empower us to move through emotional healing and work on our personal growth to contribute to a better world. With Soul Kitchen, I'm interviewing people that excite me, and once in a while, I will also share my own experiences and reflections. Each episode provides you with a recipe so you can live your quest. What is your quest? Welcome, friends of Soul Kitchen, to this new episode. I am in Tagasut at the moment in uh, a lovely surf town in Morocco. And I'm talking to Elizabeth Scotchfield today, whom I met in Portugal during a one-month breathwork co-living that we've done together. She's a conscious traveler, a digital nomad, a vision activator, and a freelancer in the world of training, coaching, and development. And today we're going to talk about topics such as non-linear life path and vision activation and following the path of your heart. Welcome, Elizabeth. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great. I'm grateful to be here with
0: you today, Ah, So what do you want to talk about? What are you passionate about?
1: Oh wow, that is so many things. But <laughs> for the sake of our podcast today, um, really, I have lived my life as an experiential learner and followed kind of my curiosity along the way, and it has led me to um, taking inspired actions that have taken me in different directions. And it doesn't always make sense as you're making those decisions, but then you just keep trusting your intuition. I just really want to encourage other people in the midst of their journey to also be willing to take those risks and trust their own inspired actions that they're taking in their lives.
0: And how did you end up in Morocco?
1: How did I end up in Morocco? That's a great question. Um, in September, I booked a one-way ticket to Portugal uh, to take advantage of this opportunity where we met through innate experiences and Um, I'd had the opportunity to live abroad last year in Rwanda and felt this pull to get back to living a more international life. And, uh, I didn't really have a full plan after Portugal, but trusted that the next inspiration or insight would come along. And some people from innate actually were traveling down to Morocco. And so I started getting curious about Morocco and here I am, I decided to Uh, go to a martial arts uh, retreat center uh, focused also on uh, the Sufi path and introducing people to a kind of the Sufi philosophy, which I've kind of been intrigued about. So that was my initial pull to Morocco. And here I am in the beach town of Tagasuit with you.
0: And what did you learn from the Sufis?
1: What did I learn from the Sufis? Um, So I learned Sufism uh, is uh, part of the Islam faith. And so, there's definitely elements of the Islam faith that I got oriented to, um, but really Sufism is a, a philosophy and kind of a way of life, um, a real commitment to aligning with source and spirit and um, the oneness of connection to spirit and connection to all human beings. Um, and it's a real peaceful path to me. And I, I really enjoyed learning more about it as it kind of a, a philosophy and a way of life.
0: So it's a philosophy and a way of life, And how do you apply it at a practical level or what type of exercises do you do at a Sufi camp?
1: Yeah, what kind of exercises do you do at a Sufi camp? It was interesting, kind of the the combination of martial arts and Sufism. Um, I've kind of been intrigued by the intersection of movement and spirituality, and so that was kind of what drew me to that. Um, So I appreciated that um, the martial arts was about kind of the elements of channeling and using your power in kind of a thoughtful way. Um, Both that kind of like internal and external, like application of how you're managing your energy. Um, And then the Sufism on top of that, um, we did a number of meditations as part of the Sufism practice. And actually in preparation for this podcast, we were just doing it. And um, there is kind of a chant or a sutra that you use while also um, doing a little bit of a body scan um, that I really enjoyed as like a daily practice to connect with your body and with Source. So that has been one of the practices that I've kind of taken away from the Sufism um, experience. Yeah.
0: So you mentioned that you uh, bought a one-way uh, ticket. Uh, so what made you uh, change your life uh, in a bit?
1: Uh, what a made me make that decision in some ways. Yeah. I, um, had returned from Rwanda in, uh, I guess, January of 2021. Uh, and that had been my first experience of living and working abroad. And, uh, it had been a dream of mine that I had had when I was younger in my teen years, but I kind of lost sight of that dream. And had ended up living in the States for my twenties and my thirties, but this opportunity presented itself. And I found myself curious about, you know, wow, like this dream is getting realized at a later point in my life, maybe than I realized. Um, I just turned 40 this last year. And, you know, maybe this is the end of that dream. Maybe I got a little taste. and Now it's time to go back to the U.S. and quote unquote settle down. And um, so I kind of came back to the States and made some, made some efforts to rebuild a more traditional life. Um, I started looking at buying a house. I was looking at freezing my eggs, going on the path to motherhood. Uh, I started looking at going back to, um, more of a traditional job. Um, I was back in Kentucky where I'm originally from, but I haven't lived there since I was 18. And so I kind of had this taste and I was even like, as I was trying to create that life, it, it wasn't coming together. And I found myself kind of a little frustrated and confused and it was a tough season. And after about, I guess, six months, um, I ended up realizing, you know, in my heart of hearts, I really actually do prefer living internationally. And there's a little bit of that, like, I'm 40, I should settle down kind of narrative. And that I needed to let go of that and realize that I, even when I was uh, in my early twenties, I knew like, I'm probably going to live a non-traditional life. I'm more interested in living an interesting life than like following a traditional path. And so anyways, I basically was like, it's time for me to get back overseas and just take one decision at a time. And I found this innate experience that was the intersection of a lot of things I'm interested in. It was um, living abroad in an international community, pursuing daily spiritual practices together, entrepreneurs who were also doing work. And I've had a vision of possibly running retreats and running retreats one day. And yet I've kind of come to realize through visiting some retreat centers, like I'm not ready to fully realize that dream. And this was a beautiful experience that was a um, a blend of living in the world, still doing work while also trying to have these practices that keep you connected to yourself and to source, um, and also keep you grounded and help you sustain your energy um, for whatever it is you're trying to
0: manifest. So you mentioned settling down. So what attracted you? Uh, to settling down and what made you decide not to settle down according to your own definition
1: what initially attracted me to settling yeah. down yeah um you know uh i am <clears throat> i'm a personality test nerd and so my enneagram for those who might be interested or are aware of that um is a seven which is the uh, enthusiast
0: i'm also a seven and yes <laughs>
1: and and jasper is also a seven we've had some good discussions i'm also we have the same myers-briggs we're both enfps Um, and there is this desire for novelty, but there is at times this longing for stability in the midst of kind of, uh, enjoying new experiences. And so I think there was a little bit of me that I've had a lot of kind of instability in the last three years. I moved, uh, I was living in Seattle and I decided during the pandemic to leave Seattle, Um, And have basically kind of been unanchored, quote unquote, professionally and like in terms of a sense of home um, since, I guess, um, 2020. Uh, And so I think there was a little bit of like, I'm getting maybe a little bit um, anxious with how unrooted or unanchored I feel. And so I think that's what led me after I came back from Rwanda to want to create some stability Additionally, I didn't have a clear vision for what was next. And so sometimes I think when we're in those places of ambiguity, we kind of cling to we 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 tend to want to try and latch onto to something that we do know, you know, so I was like, well, I don't have the energy right now to creatively construct the next phase of my life. So maybe I'll just default to what I know other people have chosen for their lives. Um, so I think those are some of the things that were drawing me to stability. Was that the right? Yeah. Yeah. Or
0: settling down. Settling
1: down. Settling yeah. down. Yeah.
0: But you've chosen now for a non-traditional or non-linear life path. Where do you find your anchoring?
1: Yeah. It's a great. <clears throat> great question. Um, in the last, I guess, three years I've been on this journey, I um, was kind of unexpectedly laid off from a job. They needed to downsize the organization. And... I, it was a real awakening moment for me that I had kind of prioritized my mind and my career at the detriment maybe to other aspects of my life. And so I decided to really, it was a real invitation to figure out how to nurture myself. And so I started exploring a lot of different practices that um, were helping me have more of that mind-body-spirit connection um, and also really more connected to my heart and had found that I was like, I'm making decisions that felt more based in my ego than in my heart about my life. Um, So anyways, I've kind of like exposed myself to all these different practices and healers and spiritual teachers. And now I feel like it's helped me construct this mix of habits and routines that really help me feel anchored and grounded kind of no matter where I am. Um, Some of those include like the artist way was a big influence for me. I'm committed to living a life of creativity and uh, they have a concept called morning pages, which essentially is like three pages stream of consciousness writing in the morning. So I've kind of, that's been a big part of kind of my grounding technique. Um, meditation has been a big part of my grounding technique. Um, clearing my chakras daily has been a part of my, my technique, but So I think that routines and habits is a big part of it. The second part is certain relationships that have been really beautifully committed, even if they're not living this life to continuing to support me and stay connected in the midst of this life. So that feels like that gives me a sense of anchor no matter where I am. And then the last thing is, is material pieces that I like traveling with that bring me a sense of comfort and home so that I do feel like home is wherever I am. Mm -hmm. Um, and that includes things like a fluffy eye mask, you know,
0: like
1: a really nice blanket. Um, I have a few little pieces that I like setting up as kind of like my altar or wherever I go um, that like are part of my kind of spiritual connection. Um, so things like that, my favorite coffee cup. Uh, so things like that, that kind of help you feel like you're at
0: home. Well. So a combination of habits, relationships, and some material possessions keep you, uh, keep you grounded. Yes. Yeah. And um, in your journey, you spent a reasonable amount of time in uh, Rwanda. I've actually been there. I went to the Africa Tech Summit uh, in Kigali. Yeah. And I think they call Rwanda the, the Singapore of Africa, or at least that's how they try to position themselves. Yes. But they have, of course, a controversial uh, history also with, with the genocide.
1: Yeah.
0: But what have you been doing there? And And can you share a bit about your experience in Rwanda?
1: Yeah, I'm happy to. It's a beautiful country, and it is a fascinating place from, of course, the perception that people have of it is that it it was really destroyed by the genocide, and yet, like, where it is now, it's just an incredible trajectory to kind of the, being the darling of Africa, or the Singapore of Africa, as you mentioned. So, my work there, um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a Friends of Rwanda network that Paul Kagame, who is the president of Rwanda, has really done an amazing job of nurturing And it's actually a lot of very successful business people um, throughout the world who really believe in the vision of what Rwanda can become and are investing in that. So one of those people is is Howard Buffett, which is one of Warren Buffett's sons. And he has really been focused on the conservation piece. There is a beautiful game park in Rwanda. Um, But additionally, he helped build a new university focused on conservation agriculture. They're trying to really revolutionize the way the country and as people are thinking about agriculture and most of the people um, who are doing agricultural, agriculture currently in the country are like over the age of 50. So they're trying to get more young people interested in getting into that field and also modernizing the way that they're approaching agriculture but also in a sustainable way. So uh, I know nothing actually about agriculture but my background uh, originally started my career in higher ed administration and I've always been passionate about straddling education and business. And so I got to really combine a lot of my different passions and interests to support this university through a variety of projects affiliated with the University of Nebraska and that partnership. So I was helping to do a leadership development program to groom uh, aspiring leaders who are among faculty and staff um, to assume leadership roles within the university and also um, help them figure out how they can build out their entrepreneurship program um, and developing the right ecosystem around the university. based upon kind of the the trajectory they wanted to guide students on to become successful entrepreneurs in agriculture.
0: And can you elaborate on the entrepreneurship uh, program? How does it work? Who did you support? What have been the results?
1: Yeah, that's a a great question. So when we came in, there was already a professor who was dedicated to teaching entrepreneurship, but he had already uh, stated that he was on his way to retirement. So what we were able to do is build a entrepreneurship uh, resource guide or or entrepreneurship program development resource guide. Um, And I partnered with another faculty member from Africa Leadership University. Um, So we wanted to make sure that the advice was contextualized to the African continent and also contextualized to entrepreneurship and agriculture. And so this guide was kind of a step-by-step process by which you could think about what happens in the first year of the program? What happens in the second year of the program? What happens in the third year of the program? And then also, what is the trajectory that you point people towards after the program to get sustained support from the ecosystem within Rwanda, um, knowing that there are already accelerators and incubators that that um, can continue to provide that right container for these business concepts these students are coming up with. So again, it's very much entrepreneurship is about action, and so there are ways in which it's uh, focused on what are the experiences that you are guiding the students through that are very um, mimicking what is is true in entrepreneurship. And so how do you guide those and also facilitate the right reflection points so that those students have a safe container to fail during the program? And then hopefully they're further along the business concept by the time they graduate.
0: I'm curious because sometimes I've also spent some time in uh, East Africa and what I've noticed, there's a lot of focus on surviving day by day. Yeah um so more short-term focus than in europe for instance mm-hmm. maybe the difference is that some people in europe have a bit more savings mm-hmm. uh, where sometimes in africa uh, it's really okay if i have full today i'm satisfied then tomorrow it's another day
1: yeah
0: um but is this also truth for the entrepreneurs that you've worked with uh, that they have more of a short-term uh, focus or is this assumption completely wrong yeah that's
1: a good question i i How do I want to answer that question? What I observed of the students, I guess I can say is, um, they were so hungry and eager to practice or gain business skills. Or I feel like maybe in the West in entrepreneurship, we have all this like planning and like we maybe sometimes overthink things before we're willing to kind of like put an idea out in the market. Um, But the students were like, I want to open a store on campus like that sells, um, you know, like chock or snacks or whatever. Um, Or I want to open a hair salon on campus and that's going to be my business. Or I'm going to start like doing a a fashion business and I'm going to start building an online account to like start, you know, like promoting my fashion products. So I felt like they were just very willing to experiment and fail. And so to your point about like, Um, they don't necessarily have that timeline that sometimes maybe we think we have in the West because there's like ample resources or containers, but they were just much more willing to get in and get their hands dirty. Um, And we're very eager during this three-year program to experiment as much as possible. So there there really was not the fear of failure, maybe as much Mm. as what I've experienced maybe around entrepreneurship in the West.
0: Mm, So there was a optimism or sense of uh, yes. sense of optimism right that's that's excellent to uh to hear and and what made you uh, move out of rwanda again yeah like when when is an experience finished for you
1: yeah so the contract that i signed on to initially was a 10-month contract um and university of nebraska um, and i you know had the opportunity to kind of reflect at the end of the contract to see whether there was additional work we could do for the Rwanda Institute for Conservation Agriculture. That was the name of the university. Um, But we recognized that it was actually a time for Nebraska to kind of step back. So the university could actually kind of be more self-sustaining and like not lean as much on the advice of University of Nebraska. But there were some other opportunities um, related to um, University of Nebraska also has a program um, where they take students from Rwanda and train them at University of Nebraska. And then they um, need support Grading them into Rwanda after the program and trying to get them internships. Uh, So there were some opportunities presented to possibly support that. But to me, it was a little bit, it was less interesting because I'd kind of done career development work previously and I was less interested in doing that. So basically some of the opportunities that were available were not as um, compelling to me. And um, so I decided, you know, for now, I think it's time to walk away from Rwanda and again, possibly pursue some of these things back in the U S and see whether they take shape, um, and if not, then we'll move on to something else. I was able to go back to a conference in May, and I do still think that there will be p- ways that I will want to contribute to Rwanda, but maybe just not in a full-time living there capacity. Not
0: in a full-time living capacity. Yeah. So, then, after Rwanda came to uh, Portugal, where we met and we participated in this one-month breathwork journey, What? how have you experienced it, and what are your main takeaways?
1: Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. So... My exposure to breathwork prior had been not a lot. I've done it probably four or five times um, when I had done it. It had been really powerful and there was a lot of emotional release for me. And so I was kind of intrigued about what it would be like to do it consistently. I'd kind of done like a random one at a retreat or, you know, um, done an online session with some friends. And my experience of breathwork, you know, I'm I'm a curious person and I ex- like, you know, I. I Again, another thing about kind of being an ENFP in a and you kind of like sampling everything. Um, so of course, like there is the, there's yoga, there's meditation, there's breath work. And I kind of feel like they are all different types of tools. And so it was interesting to kind of think about how does breath work complement these other practices that are much more well-known and maybe much more widely accepted. And to me, breath work, I really enjoyed it because it felt like more about movement of energy and movement of emotions. And to me, sometimes the aspect of meditation that doesn't resonate is this aspect of stillness. And I think as humans, it's so natural for us to kind of want to move energy. And I'm I'm a dancer and like, I love dancing as a way to kind of release emotion and move energy. And to me, breath work was just this beautiful way to kind of like cleanse your mind and your body and your spirit and your emotional world. And so that you're kind of this clean container. And, and it, to me, it does that even better than meditation or yoga because it's kind of combining the movement of yoga with the meditation benefits. Um, So, yeah, I guess that's my experience of breath work is that it is like there's more movement to it and there's more energy and um, more clarity that is much more kind of mind, body, spirit connected. Mm -hmm.
0: So also, you really feel tangible things in your body, right? Yeah. But in a different way than meditation, I feel it's more, Yeah. You know, what's the difference between meditation and breath work in terms of how you experience it in the body?
1: Yeah. Again, I think that like meditation, I feel like I'm still in my head. Like I'm like aware of my thoughts, you know, you're just kind of paying attention. Like, okay. Like planning, analyzing, that's what I'm doing. Bring myself back to the moment. Um, <clears throat> And breath work feels much more like it like expands the thoughts out of my brain like it it expels the thoughts out of my brain it like clears my brain much more and then also there's this energy that kind of comes through my body that just feels yeah like just this purifying energy um that i just feel cleansed afterwards in a in a a more profound way Mm.
0: that's beautiful and um you want to move towards being a vision uh, activator yes <laughs> so what um what did you learn about your own vision for your life or for your work during the breathwork journey
1: yeah thank you that's a great question you know i i think when we are in the process of becoming or feeling like we're called to maybe a new identity or a new way of being or a new way of life it is really important to surround ourselves with people maybe who are a little bit farther in that journey. And that to me was what innate was, is like, I was around a group of people who were combining entrepreneurship, international perspectives, spirituality. And I was really inspired by being around this group of people who were actualizing their own visions for their life that were also non-traditional and that it was totally normal and accepted. And there was also a lot of support for that within the group. So Uh, through actually some business coaching with Jasper, you know, one of the questions he asked me was like, okay, what in three words, what's your personal brand? And it like, just came to me immediately. I was like, I'm a vision activator. (laughs) Um, and the, you know, and, and, you know, whenever we're kind of in transition, it doesn't, it often is like just an extension of our past or maybe a like upgrade of our past. And that's what this has felt like is like, I've always been a vision activator, but I haven't really claimed it. Mm. And I've always been invited into organizations where they were like, we don't know what we're doing here. And this is a new thing for us. Like, but we're going to put you in charge of figuring out how to create X, Y, or Z. So I've like created programs and initiatives and launched projects. And I have that energy to launch new things. And I also <clears throat> have that ability to take something ambiguous and really start assessing the landscape and also talking to the people who will be impacted by that initiative so that it can be shaped in alignment with the needs of whoever it's serving. And so I've naturally done that throughout my career. And now I want to be doing that more in a one-on-one capacity and coaching with people in addition to like doing project-based work. And so it just felt like it was this like uh, a more holistic way of looking at what wants to be expressed through me and the ways that I want to serve people according to what is kind of my natural
0: gift. That's beautiful. And, uh, I tested, uh, your vision activation skills because when I interview someone, I always like to to test something. So we did a vision quest. I really liked the, the dream visualization in which I discovered that I want to spend some time in the Amazon. And I also like the release uh, ceremony where I still, uh, realized that I need to release some, um, some parts of me on the on let's say more the romantic side before getting ready to step into a new identity but can you elaborate in your vision quest uh, that you offer to people uh, why is a dream visualization and a release ceremony so important
1: yeah i think that we gosh especially like as we get older i mean you're in your 30s i'm in my 40s i think that a lot of people lose sight of what their dreams even are And not many people are asking you anymore, like, what are your dreams? You know, like, that's so much more of kind of like the state of mind that people encourage you to be in in your 20s um, and are encouraging and supporting that. But I think we kind of get lost in the practicalities of life. So I think somebody holding space to give you permission to A, dream, and then B, name what you want um, from a more kind of like authentic, heartfelt place. Uh, I really do rely on visualizations to kind of get people into their hearts. And then from their, from their heart, what is true for them? What is their true vision for their life? Um, and a- apart from practicalities, apart from like all these limitations that we can say of like, but how is this, you know, I, I think when we get older, there's so many factors that we're having to take into consideration. Like I want financial stability. I have these people in my life to take care of at this point. I have this obligation to this house. I have this obligation to this job. And we, we spend a lot of our mental energy on the, on the objections versus the dreaming. So I think that that's a big part of the dreaming part. Um, And then secondarily, even if we have the dream, then we have these limiting beliefs or we have these um, commitments that we are possibly kind of um, uh, tied to. And when we look at like what's getting in the way of us actually realizing our dreams, that's an important step to take next is really kind of like, okay, let's acknowledge and name the things that are getting in the way of you possibly. And so much of this is in the subconscious, right? So it's kind of taking what is in the subconscious and trying to bring it into the consciousness. And and that's what breath work is doing. That's what the psychedelic movement is trying to do. So it's just another way of kind of trying to address the blockers to realizing the vision for the life that we want to live.
0: Mm -hmm. And, um, you're talking about addressing the the blockers. What is something that you recently had to release uh, to step into a new identity?
1: Oh, that's a really great question. Um, so one of the questions actually that you asked asked me was somewhere around like, what is holding you back? And one of the things that I realized is that I'm very grateful that I have had a career where I've had wonderful mentors who have seen my potential, who have wanted to support me, who have, wanted to help me have the skills and the resources and the wisdom to navigate whatever challenge I've decided to pursue at the time. And I'm so grateful for those people. And yet they do linger in my mind as people that I want to um, honor with the choices I'm making with my life and honor the investment that they made. And so I've realized that some of those people are still in my subconscious Mm as it relates to like, how would they feel about the decisions I'm making to maybe liberate myself a little bit more from the traditional structures of work, of home, of relationships, of family. And I've realized that that has actually been a little bit of a blocker for me to give myself permission to really go after this life that I want to create. And so that has been a big part of like, really wanting to like, in my mind, appreciate the investment that those people made, but also say like, thank you. And I also need to go on my path and like mm. let go of um, mm. the judgment that I'm. But it's it's my judgment of myself that I'm projecting onto yeah. those people, right?
0: But is it the investment of your parents, or is the investment of former uh, employers, or what investment are you talking about?
1: Yeah, it's these mentors who have like walked alongside me, mostly professionally, mm. um, and uh, helped me when I was like, I really want to get into leadership development. I really want to get into consulting. Um, I really want to get into innovation work. You know, I've had these people who have seen my vision and said, I really want to help you make that happen. And the reality is, is even the stuff I'm building towards is not divorcing myself from those skills or abilities. And that's another thing I've had to like work through mentally is that like what I'm doing is just an upgrade of those things. I still want to be in the innovation space. I still want to be in the leadership development space. I still want to be in the consulting space. Um, but
0: just doing it a little bit differently. I see. So it's not completely throwing these things away or these connections, but you're changing, uh, changing a bit. Yeah. I'm curious, what's your ideal uh, vision of uh, your home environment Mm -hmm. or your, your living environment? You mentioned that you want to have a tiny house at some point, but how do you envision this? Yeah.
1: So I think that, um, again like i'm around these people and i'm also saying like how can this and this be true like how can i have a sense of home while also having a sense of freedom and i want to believe that both are possible and so <clears throat> ultimately i still have this desire to have the flexibility and freedom to travel um which means that whatever sense of home like i don't want all my resources to be tied up in my sense of home and also that part of me that wants to continue to live an environmentally conscious life, like doesn't need a house that has like four bedrooms and, you know, um, I want to be able to host people, um, but I also want to live simply. And so ultimately I've always had this vision of kind of creating um, a community of people who are living together, probably in the mountains, um, with a set of homes that are simple, simply built and there is a flow of people in and out of that community. So, you know, like maybe I have this tiny home and I'm renting it out for three months a year and going to Bali. Uh, but I still have that kind of place to come back to of people who have a common um, uh, vision or philosophy on life. Uh, and that that is a source of comfort, even in the midst of my willingness to kind of continue to be geographically mobile
0: i see so you want to have a bit of a combination of a, a tiny housing community and then and then traveling and um, um if people want to have a, a more nonlinear uh, life or if they want to activate their own vision i mean these are two different questions so it's up to you how you answer it but what are some practical steps that people can take to start
1: people want to live a not linear life or if they're ready to activate their vision. Yes. Um, well, I think experimentation honestly is a huge part of it. And I do think that change has to be incremental. And even as we're stepping into these like new identities or new lives, like it takes these little micro actions of whether it's like, okay, like I am interested in possibly moving right to, Uh, I have a friend who's been living in Luxembourg and she's feeling like she possibly wants to live in Paris. And so right now she decided to take a month to live in Paris. So it's like this idea of like prototyping these different lives and what is an incremental step that you can put yourself in that reality to see how it actually feels energetically. Right. Or if you're thinking about switching jobs, right? Like, okay, let's start thinking about some informational interviews that you can be conducting with people who are working in foundations so that you can energetically see once you're talking to those people, can you start imagining yourself doing what they're doing on a daily basis? So I think it's a lot about putting yourself in those environments and situations to see whether it, how it feels in your body, you know, like, does it feel when you're walking around the streets of Paris, like, do you feel alive? Do you feel vibrant? Are the synchronicities happening once you get there that you're bumping into people and you're making these connections that feel like there's a momentum to that decision. So I think that it is figuring out those little um, experiments that you can run that are related to the life you're starting to dream about.
0: So experimentation and, and energetically feeling into it is uh, is important. Yeah. And um, uh, sometimes with a vision, it's difficult where to start because uh, you can travel, you have your work life, you have your your exercise, you have your love life. So how do you know where to start? So do you need to have a vision for all these elements or do you need to prioritize one element or is it does it need to be a, a holistic vision?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's so unique to each individual. And actually at the beginning of my coaching, there is a little bit of like an overall assessment where I have people do kind of a an interpretation of the wheel of life, which is a common coaching tool. And I let them kind of rate their satisfaction level on those things. And also use language about um, right now I feel this way in my life and I want to feel this way in this category of life. And then based upon them doing that initial like assessment, I let them identify which of these areas feels like it needs the most attention in terms of where you want to focus the coaching activities um, and there's opportunities to say, you know, I'm seeing that my love life and my career are both like the most, uh, like I'm experiencing the most discomfort or I'm experiencing the most desire to have changes. And so we could focus on two. Um, but it's so unique, I think, to the individual.
0: I've also been active as a, as a coach. I like to wear multiple hats, but one of my activities has been uh, coaching people. I've always been coaching entrepreneurs while I'm also still building my own business. So there's always a question about how to balance uh, creating your own life or your own business and then also supporting others. You're, you are a vision activator um, and you want to support people in building non linear or non-traditional lives. So how do you balance creating the life of your dreams while also supporting others to do the same?
1: Yeah. So I guess my initial answer to that is I actually started my career as a coach. Uh, I started as a career coach uh, to college students um, right out of my uh, master's degree. And I really enjoyed that work. I was about 28 at the time. And I had this moment where I realized I was like, what are your passions? Like, what are your dreams? And I was loving being around the energy of these students who were dreaming about what was possible for their lives. And meanwhile, I was like, Oh, like I'm coaching them to live these lives, but I don't know that I'm actually really living myself. Like, I don't know that I'm really asking myself what my own passions are. Like, I don't know that I'm really um, being as authentic as I could be as a coach. So I think this stage of the journey of like kind of revamping or upgrading my coaching, I'm really committed to making sure that I'm living the life that I'm encouraging other people to live. And also the wisdom that I share is from lived experience. And I think that that's really important when anyone's choosing a coach, that they are drawing upon the wisdom of their own lived experience. And they have uh, suffered the, the pitfalls and the challenges and, you know, themselves kind of discovered their own unique solutions. So that being said, uh, this time around, as I'm building my business, my coaching business, I'm doing that in this uh, flow, easeful way where I'm like putting myself out there, but I'm also traveling. I'm seeking these inspiring experiences. I'm meeting the people that I want to meet on the journey. And I think that that's really important so that I can, you know, parlay that into the insights that I'm sharing with my clients. So um, that's, I think, uh, an important element of what it means for me at this point to be a coach is compared to maybe what it meant for me to be a coach at another point in my life.
0: Uh, You're stepping into your new role as a vision activator. And um, of course you have a vision for your, for your life as well. So what are your coming plans in terms of travels, adventures, experiences?
1: Yeah. So I do think that I'm on this path. You know, you asked what my version of home might be. I see that emerging, the inspiration for that in the next three to five years. But in the meantime, I do think there is a desire to experience a variety of places to, again, feel into what is right for me in terms of where that location might be. So Portugal was a place that I wanted to explore as a potential option, as a little bit of a home base of sorts. Um, Eventually, on this leg of the journey, I want to get to Indonesia. I'm curious about Indonesia because... It is also a digital nomad hub. So I kind of want to see another digital nomad community um, and experience why people are drawn to a place like Indonesia and also uh, Southeast Asia in general. I'm continuing to want to have a blend of Western and Eastern philosophy to kind of inform my own understanding of how I move through the world and also how I'm encouraging other people to move through the world. Um, So, I'm taking these inspired steps of how I get from here to Indonesia. And so I came to Morocco. I think that my next inspired step is, is India. Um, And the reason for that is I was kind of thinking about possibly going down to Senegal. I haven't experienced West Africa. I'm Really. um, I love dancing. And as I mentioned, um, so the dancing and drumming kind of aspect of the West Africa culture was appealing to me. Um, But I think I have decided I'm going to um, pause on the, the trip to uh, West Africa because I actually have a friend who just I found out is going to be in India. And that's a little bit of what I'm discovering with this um, this life that I'm building is that you discover where people are going that you want to spend time with. And that can also be a little bit of an inspiration and a nudge in the midst of your travels where there's a loose plan, but then also room for those um room for those inspired decisions, right? About like, why would I go to a different place? Like sometimes it's about meeting up with familiar faces. Sometimes it's about an experience you're pursuing. I do want to continue to build my own skills uh, around my coaching. So that's like another reason that I'm thinking about different travel experiences that I'm kind of curating, I guess, between here and Indonesia. Um, So my vision is to continue to both have a loose plan, but also follow the nudges, um, along the
0: journey. And one of the most famous people that, uh, one of the most famous women in the world that has been on such a journey, of course, is, um, Elizabeth, uh, Gilbert, uh, from eat, pray, Love. Has that been uh, has she been an inspiration to you or not?
1: Definitely. I do think there, I read her book when I was actually moving out to Seattle from Nashville mm-hmm. And at that time, I also started looking at working for a remote year, which is a digital nomad uh. program. And so there's been this like, you know, again, sometimes we have these visions, but we don't have the control over the timing of when mm. they come to pass. And so I thought at that point, you know, I decided to move to Seattle, but was there still a way I could build some international elements into my life? That didn't work out, but then I ended up deciding to do this Stanford program, and one of the reasons I decided to do this Stanford as a certificate in corporate innovation is that it was an international cohort. And that was going to be the way that I was going to infuse this international piece into my life. So, um, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert went on this quest, right, to kind of expose herself to these different cultures. And she spent these longer periods of time. And I think that that is also <clears throat> something I've realized is like that idea of like slow travel is important to me because I do want, I feel, I feel like the way we normally travel and as I've been traveling and encountering other traditional travelers, you know, you have two weeks, so you're trying to maximize like the tourist experiences. You can get the Instagram photos <laughs> and be able to tell people, you know, like I've checked off the the list of the cool things to do in this area. And that's really kind of not the way I want to travel. Um, I'm wanting to prioritize like spiritual experiences when I'm traveling interacting with other travelers to like expose myself to their perspectives on the world I I do want to interact with locals and so I can also make sure that I'm kind of understanding how they view the world um and it's more about people and relationships to me than it is about seeing like the Taj Mahal Mm -hmm. um so I think that she very much you know like had that kind of slow travel approach and was also seeking spiritual experiences and also very focused on relationships. So I'm sure that there's some, some definitely
0: some similarities, some
1: similarities.
0: Yeah. I think one of the things um, I've uh, read her book, but I've also read a few articles of her online and I read this book, I think big magic.
1: Yeah. Big magic. It's about
0: creativity yes. and pursuing that, but she's also in a way non-traditional in the sense that she doesn't have children. I mean, she's have had, Uh, multiple partners but in the book she also writes that initially uh she had a partner and this job and this house but she stepped out of it right
1: yeah
0: um so has she also been an inspiration maybe in 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 non-traditional living or um i can cut this out let's let's see what i want to ask um
1: Maybe in the questioning she has of the status quo.
0: Yeah, or maybe, I mean, I think she is an example for many women of living a non-traditional life and and making that more accepted. Mm -hmm. So what are your views on that? Or has she been an inspiration?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that she was a woman who modeled, like, I got all the things, you know, like that society told me as a woman. Would, would make me fulfilled. I, I found a partner. I was living in New York city, this dynamic city. She had already started her, her, you know, like writing career and there was something that was still lacking for her. And so she did go searching, you know, for something that might be, that might help her feel more alive, that might help her feel more connected to her essence, that might be more inspiring for her. And so I do think sometimes there is this, like, and I feel this too, it like, message of, like, oh, gratitude and contentment, like, is the answer, like, it's not that you need to change your life, you know, but you just need to be more, like, content with the life that you have, and yet I also feel like people like Elizabeth Gilbert are, like, if you're feeling restless in your life, give yourself permission to explore something else, and um, it's, you're not wrong for kind of feeling a sense of longing that you don't know why or what it is that you're even longing for, but give yourself permission to, to explore that at the very least. Mm. And you might end up coming back to your normal life, quote unquote. But um, And, you know, she had the support and the resources and, you know, she ended up going on this quest and it did lead her to live a very different life than the one that she left behind. Um, but that yeah. might not be true for them.
0: But yeah, she's a true inspiration that age doesn't really matter, like that, that certain steps that you should take according to society are not necessarily related to age. Yes. And have you met uh, some fellow travelers already
1: uh,
0: at a similar age that have been taking similar uh, steps?
1: That's a good question. Well, I guess uh, my answer to that is I think I was a little nervous about this leg of my journey because I was like, I'm afraid that as I'm stepping into this international life where I'm embracing geographic mobility, maybe the only people I will come across will be 25 year olds who are backpacking (laughs) and like just wanting to party and maybe want the Instagram photo. And um, I was a little like, maybe this isn't going to resonate for me, but what I've been surprised to find is that there actually is like a wide range of ages that I have encountered. There are certain people who are at different transitional points And that often at those transitional points is when we choose to travel. And that's the beauty of travel is that I do think it can provide some clarity when we step outside of our environment and expose ourselves to a new set of, um, like, environments and people. And I do think the reality of the world we're living in is that change is happening to us at a much more rapid rate. And we are having to often maybe reevaluate our lives or make these conscious decisions about what's next like, uh, by force as much as we are even having to be like, Oh, do I want a job change? It's like, well, COVID, you know, um, COVID, you know, like I, I got laid off. So I'm having to go on this, like, what, what do I want out of my life? Or or COVID disrupted so many people's lives in the sense of like, I'm no longer having to keep up with all these activities and like social commitments. Like now I'm being forced to ask myself what I really want. So, I do think, you know, I'm I'm encountering people who are approaching retirement. I'm encountering people who are, um, you know, like starting to now be empty nesters. You know, there are these people who are at these different points in their journey and are seeking answers through travel. And so that to me has been inspiring. So I've less encountered other people who are maybe like um, permanently like traveling that are my age, but I've been more encountering people who are seeking travel experiences to get clarity about their life. Mm.
0: You're talking about COVID as well. So, what has been the biggest shifts in people's lives post COVID, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, I think that people radically reevaluated whether their life was in alignment with the priorities, with their true priorities. And I think that people came to realize that work has unconsciously become a huge focus, and maybe we're reevaluating our relationships with work. And I think that adding to that is now that we're remote working, there is less There is less of our needs that are being met through work, whether it's like that social connection, that sense of belonging, even that sense of like mentorship from a boss. Like when you're not in physical proximity to all of that, I think that it kind of makes you feel a little bit more detached from your either your work identity or your work community. And so work can just be work. And so you're having to then pursue a lot more outside of your work life in order to kind of get those needs met and be more intentional about it. I also think people's social worlds got dismantled and we, we, we developed these pods to kind of get through COVID. And so you had these smaller communities and you realized who was your quote unquote, like family that got you through. And I'm, I'm very much a like somebody who thinks about like family of choice versus family of origin. And some people really leaned on their family of origin. Some people really had a family of choice that got them through that experience. And now we're kind of getting back to determining, like, who are we going to add to our social equation and being more conscious about even the people we're pursuing socially versus these default social interactions that we've kind of always been maintaining. So those are two of the things that I see as kind of the big shifts.
0: So more consciously choosing what priorities people have and also uh, choosing the relationships that they want to have. And indeed, reevaluating the relationship with work. That's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Because work can become such a big piece of your life. Yeah. I've also experienced this. Yeah. I still love to work. Um, but it's really important to evaluate it, right? How important is it? Yeah. And how much weight do you uh, give it? Yeah. So, if you look back at your, uh, your life and... Um, as a, as a piece of wisdom for the people listening, the soul kitchen is about recipes for life, right? So what is the the recipe uh, for life that you want to share with uh, the people listening to this episode?
1: Yeah, I think that whole concept of like the only thing guaranteed in life is like change in taxes. And I think living more in acceptance of that. And rather than like chasing this idea of stability, that really isn't even honestly available as much in the world that we're living in. It's, you know, like our lives are getting more and more disrupted on a regular basis. So instead, why don't we embrace this life of experimentation where we're kind of constantly um, allowing ourselves to experiment with different realities and that allows us to be more agile and able to adapt to these changes that are continuing to come in our lives rather than Okay, like, I'm I'm trying to chase this idea of, like, a house that gives me stability, a family that gives me stability, a job that gives me stability. Um, like, I think that for certain people, that's fine, that that's their reality, but even that gets disrupted. So, I think that um, helping ourselves become more agile, you know, like, through this more lo- loose and open-handed approach and a view of life.
0: Well, thank you very much for sharing your wisdom, uh, Elizabeth. I'm keen to uh, keep following your journey and your uh, adventures. And uh, yeah, thank you for sharing your wisdom on the podcast. Thank you very much for
1: having me.